I was praying about this morning and I had a lot of good ideas and I was telling God all my good ideas and he listened very patiently and he nodded politely and then he told me, uh, Sean, you're not going to do any of that stuff. I was going to talk about Nehemiah and I was going to talk about vision and I was going to talk about the future and what we're going to do and things and rah, rah, rah. And God just said, oh, that's nice, Sean. That's nice. No, you're not going to talk about that. I say, well, God, what am I going to talk about? If we don't do a New Year's message about what we're stepping into in 2023, what are we going to do? He said, Sean, I want you to tell people something very special. This is my New Year's message to City Church. And I listened. And I listened, are you ready for God's New Year's message? This is the prophecy for 2023. It goes like this. Ha 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 ha
And then you come to the end of the chapter. And as you come into the new chapter in the same book, God now starts to express a new dimension of what he wants to reveal to you and what he wants you to live in and step into. And so I think it is very specific to Hong Kong that at this time, this very week, we have come out of COVID restrictions to a large degree. We don't have to scan apps anymore. We don't have to, um, the, the one thing we do have to do is have masks, but there's no limitations on gathering sizes and, and um, a lot of restrictions. Most of the restrictions have been lifted this very week. And I find it uncanny that we are coming into the new year and now we have restrictions lifted. And I said to God, isn't this amazing? He said, Sean, it's a new year. It's a new year for laughter, for joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And as we enter into that laughter and into that joy, he's going to make us strong for this new year. And it's not something you have to do. You don't have to be strong. This is a bad idea because everyone's making New Year's resolutions. Everyone's decided they're going to get stronger. I'm going to get fitter. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to earn more. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, which is all a reliance on you. Therefore, it's not the joy of the Lord. It's your joy. And if you rely on your joy, the second you have a bad day, you lose your strength. But when you rely on his joy, doesn't matter what day you have, you can still be strong. So be careful to make... New Year's resolutions that are external, that come from the outside, that look for a result and then reverse engineer, how do I get to that result? In the last couple of years, I've been listening to people who talk about reverse engineering, and I love the idea of a target that you aim for, because if you don't have a target, what are you going to hit? I love that idea, and I think there's a value in that. But sometimes, we draw our own target, and God never intended us to fulfill that target. And so now we're working hard in the wrong direction, taxing ourselves, expanding ourselves, trying to get to something that God never called us into. Most miracles in the Bible happen by accident. They do not access, uh, happen by reverse engineering. If you allowed the people of Israel coming out of Egypt to enter the promised land by their own means, they would have gone and fought the Philistines directly. They would have gone to the straight path and they would have fought the Philistines in their own mind and they would have been, because they were dressed in battle. They were dressed for battle. They would have been absolutely massacred. So God took them around and around and around. So much so that the Egyptians thought, these guys are confused. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't sat down strategically and reverse engineered their target. And so they just lost in the desert. Let's go and recapture them. So we got to get the target. we got to go straight into battle. We're going to fight this thing and we're going to do that thing. And God says, no, 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 relax. I know what the target is and I'm going to get you there in my time. And as you trust God and as you rest and you don't try and reverse engineer, I'm going to get there by my own will, by my own power. By my effort, by my vows and promises, I'm going to get there. If you just go, okay, God, you lead me. And as he leads you, it may look a little crazy. It may look like you're going around in the desert, around and around and around. And you may end up at an impossible, impossible barrier. And then they start complaining, and God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And he gives them a staff and splits the Red Sea. And they go through the Red Sea. That was not man's plan. Man had no understanding, 
no ability to recognize what God was able to do. No one could have conjured that up. We know the story because we've read it a hundred times and heard it preached a hundred times that God split the Red Sea. But before that happened, there's no way you would have come up with that idea. This is impossible. You don't walk through water. And so our conditioning will limit what we're able to step into because we have attempted in our own willpower and our own strength and our own brain power to reverse engineer the target, the goal, and then we think, how do we get there? No, let the Lord direct your steps. Let the Lord show you how to get there. And it may be around and around the houses. It may be that you have to march around Jericho 13 times before you get the result. That is not man's plan. Man's plan is we go straight up to the walls in the middle of the night very quickly. We rip those things down as quickly as we can. God says, no, I'm going to march you out in the middle of the day in the open so they can all see you. And you're going to be quiet. Don't say a word. Marches around. Around and around and around. We're just going around the houses. No, it's by faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Patience means you're adopting a position that allows God to do what he needs to do on your behalf. Patience is not you do it to impress him. Patience is, God, I'm going to wait for you to do it to impress me. Somebody say amen. amen. Talking about the new. We're talking about entering into a new chapter in Hong Kong. And so that's why when I came to God with my good ideas about what I was going to preach this morning, he said, okay, that's very nice, Sean. You're reverse engineering. You're coming up with some good plans. That's wonderful for you, Sean, but that's not my plan. You don't know my plan. You don't have an ability to understand my plan and how I'm going to bring about what I want to impress you with. So rest. God, I don't know if I can rest. He says, well, work hard at, work hard at resting. And as you be still and know that I am good, I will bring you through to your promises. I will bring you through to your inheritance. Can you feel that peace in the room? That's just a pressure. Some of us psychologically have put ourselves under so much pressure to get to the other side. We've got to get to the promises. That we pressure ourselves out of the promises. And God's saying, just rest. Just enter into my joy. Enter into my peace. And as you do that, I will bring you through. Doesn't mean we don't do anything. It doesn't mean we don't respond. It just means we don't manufacture the way we get there. We allow him to lead us. Just say, Father, lead me. Lead me. I want to enter into the new of 2023. I want to enter in freshly, with strength, in peace. Let this not be a year of my striving, but let this be a year of joy. The joy of the Lord. Let this be a year of strength. Not humanistic strength, but your strength. Oh, that's peace. Can you feel that? That's peace. You can have that every moment of every day. What takes you out of peace is your effort <laughs> that takes you out of rest. Ah, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you. Thank you that we enter in the first day of the new year in peace. I love his peace. God's bringing, bringing CCI, Hong Kong, and the nations of the world into a new chapter. The book is the same. We are in the new covenant. But he is unfolding the next element of his plan. And so as he writes a new chapter after this, this COVID thing does not look good 
for lots of people in the world, for lots of churches, it does not look good. It has been a grievous battle. It has called, caused a lot of, well, it, it has exposed political divide. It has exposed some of the motives and the money-hungry uh, mechanisms of man. It has exposed deception. And it, it, it exposed the nature of man independent of God. And so as COVID has come, it was not from God. God did not bring COVID. God, God does not institute evil. COVID was evil. But as it's played out, it's shown evil men for being evil. It's shown evil nations for being evil. And it, is, it has not corrupted. It has exposed what has been corrupt. And God's not finished with exposing those things. Those things will roll out in the next couple of years. Somebody say amen. It's good for corrupt things to be exposed. And at the same time, God is exposing those who have his righteousness, who walk in his love, who walk in his peace. And so whilst bad things are being exposed by bad things, good people who love God and honor him and walk with him, not by our effort, but by faith, are going to be exposed and honored and platformed and put on, on display so God can show his glory to the nations. Say amen. That means you. That means God is going to bless you. He's already blessed you, but he's going to bless you in the new chapter, in new ways that you never thought of. And as he displays his glory, you're just going to inherit more and more blessing. Just go, oh, God, thank you. I didn't even plan this. I don't even know how I got here. I've been saying to my family recently, um, and some, some other people have been saying, I don't know how, how I got to the level of blessing that I'm living in. I know it wasn't me. I thought it was me for a time, and I attempted to reconstruct the strategies to get the results, and none of them worked. Last year, I tried seven new businesses. Do you know how many succeeded? <laughs> none. Not one business succeeded last year. I spent money. I spent time. It didn't work. Not one of them. Some of them harebrained ideas. I knew they were weird, but I was willing to experiment. Some of them just solid, basic, very level one ideas. None of them worked. Do you know why? Because I thought I got to my blessing, what God had blessed me with, by strategy. And I didn't. I got there by His grace. And I followed and I was led by Him. And so when I tried to put the same steps in place, they all failed because God wasn't calling me to take those steps. The steps didn't bless me. The person who directed my steps blessed me. So we go to the gurus and we go to, and you should read the books and you should watch the videos. Those are good things. Very healthy. Exposes you to new ideas. But we go to those and we attempt to institute those steps and then they don't produce results. No, those people operated in revelation because someone was directing their steps. And if you operate in what he's directing your steps, you will get blessing. You will unravel the blessing he's already put on your life. But if you just copy religiously the outward actions... And the externals, you won't get the results in line with that. And I proved that last year by failure. Seven failures. But everything that I've followed God with has worked. And it's worked not because of my intelligence. I, I assure you that. Because I applied my best intelligence to some crazy things last year and none of them worked. Somebody say amen. What I'm talking about is God's blessing independent of your 
your inability, independently of your li limitations. Amen. Okay. This is a little bit apocryphal. Uh, this has not been confirmed. I look for the data on what I'm about to tell you, and I'm not sure this is a true story. But I like the moral of it, and um, I like the outworking of the experiment, or what's said to be the experiment, and I know that this truth is true. Whether this experiment is true or not, I don't know. You can go and Google it. You can see people arguing about whether it's true or not. I can't find the source data, but I know the result of the story is true. What they did is they took fleas. You know the little animals that bite dogs and then hopefully don't bite you? Uh, they took a whole bunch of fleas. They put them in a glass jar. And the fleas are jumping up and down. And so they put a lid on this glass jar. It's about this high. And they leave the fleas in the glass jar for about three days. And after three days, the fleas learn that the higher they jump, the more they hit their heads. And they learn that there's a limitation on the glass jar. And so they don't jump as high as the lid. They learn to jump just under the level of the lid. And so they have been conditioned by a limitation that is externally applied onto them. Three days, they learn this. After three days, the scientist comes along and removes the lid. Do you know what those fleas do? They all jump out of the container and run for freedom. They then, because of three days of conditioning, which is a long time in a flea's life, it's like 30 years for us. Imagine you attempt and attempt and attempt and try and strategize and find different angles to get through. Try and learn how to parent better, or you try and learn how to break through in business, or you try and learn how to get revelation quicker, or whatever it is in your life, and you attempt, 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 attempt. And the external condition that's put on you has conditioned you. It doesn't work. There are no miracles. God's blessing doesn't work that way. God doesn't love me because there's external conditionings put on your mind. And so the more you attempt to get to your target, the more you become convinced that it's impossible. That's why it's very difficult, or it's very important that you don't try in your own effort to get to something that God promises you. Because if you try in your effort without removing external limitations, you will confirm that it's impossible, and you will start to call God a liar. Not because he's a liar, but because of limitations. So they take this lid off the fleece. And the fleas don't just jump out. They have now been conditioned, and they stay jumping just be below the height limit of this glass jar. Amazing conditioning. What's even more amazing is that not only do those fleas not jump out, but their offspring, by social conditioning, don't jump out either. So they are born into a, a world where there is no external restriction, but they learn by mommy and daddy and by pastor, and by teacher, and by whatever is trending on TikTok or Facebook, they learn by social conditioning, don't jump out of the glass jar. Your mindset is incredibly powerful. And you may have had conditions put on you or even on your ancestors that told you and taught you and built a life structure around certain limitations in order to help you not damage your head that have then conditioned you. And even if those external restrictions are taken off, you still live in the limitations of once what was. And so when God calls us into 2023, he's saying, I have not put restrictions on you. 
there's something that has put a restriction on all of you. It's called legalism. It's called a works mindset. And as the work mindset is taken off your lives, remember that there are unlimited possibilities in the new. And don't be limited by those mindsets. I want to encourage each of you, take the opportunity to jump out of the glass jar. Even if your mind tells you, that's impossible. Jump out. If God calls you to jump out, jump out. Because there are things that were in, impossible inside that glass jar that you have been taught for generations. You have been taught culturally, this is impossible. Religiously, from pulpits, well-meaning, well-intended pulpits, you've been taught, no, that's, that's not the way that God operates. That glass jar has been limited. And as God takes that off our minds, it's already off in the new covenant. It, the book has already been opened and God's hev the heavens have already been rendered. But as we come into the new chapter of Revelation, of God taking the, revealing that those limitations have been taking off, take the opportunity to go, okay, God, let me try. Let me respond. I know it's impossible in my mind because that's what I've been conditioned, but I'm just going to experiment. I'm just going to play. I'm just going to see, actually, how good are you, God? And let him bless you in this new year. Don't be quick to go, uh, but that's the way we've always done it. If you hear yourself saying, that's the way we've always done it, Check yourself and go, is that the way we should have always been doing it? Maybe we shouldn't have. Or maybe we should have always done that way, but now the legislation has changed. The psyche of COVID has affected people, so we used to be reaching for our phones, now we reach for our masks. <laughs> and very soon, it's not instituted just yet, but very soon in Hong Kong, we will not have to wear masks going outside. But I wonder how many of us are going to be reaching for them. But conditioning, every time we walk outside, it's going to take a while to take that conditioning off you. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about religion. Every time you sin, every time you make a mistake, how quickly are you reaching for your repentance? Conditioning. Oh, I can't pray until I've said sorry for my sin. No, just walk with God. And his kindness will lead to repentance. And he'll tell you what you need to say sorry for and not do. And Amen? Take the glass lid off. You know, the, the lid off the glass jar. I, I don't know how many of you have noticed when you walk into Three Tie that there's a gym downstairs. How many have seen that? There's a weight rack and weights and dumbbells and kettlebells and machines and rowing machines. And I, two years ago, two and a half years ago, wanted that room. And so I built it. I paid for it. We got contractors in to put concrete in because it used to just be like outside. We put rafters in. And my intention was I want a place that I can work out and get stronger. Now, before you all compliment me on my physique, um, let me just open your eyes to the truth and just show you I'm fat and un unhealthy. I'm not fit. And uh, I made a room specially with all the materials that I need, more than I need. Actually, to get fit, you don't need anything. You can just go for a walk. But I built a special room, and I got the weights and paid for the things and figured out how to get fit with all this external paraphernalia. And for two years, I worked out one time. <laughs> I used the running machine, one, uh, the rowing machine once, didn't like it, and I used the weight thing once. 
only because other people had convinced me into it. And for two years, I did not use it. I did not get fit, even though we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on that room. What I'm trying to tell you is that was an external application of a good intention, but it was an external application. And what I realized in the last two months, you won't be able to tell on my outside, because on the inside is where the changes happened. I've started to work out. And with my brother and with a friend, we've been working out. I've been doing weights very consistently. And I've been getting stronger. You can't see that just yet, but I have been. I can feel stronger. I feel healthier. And the reason why was because even though I had no excuse externally, because I had the room to work out, internally, I had thought that to work out was a three-hour endeavor. You have to go to the gym, then you have to warm up for 20 minutes, then you have to do weights very intensely, get out of breath, and it's so much hard work for an hour and a half, and then it takes you 20 minutes to cool down and stretch. And so then you go home and shower, and so it's a three-hour thing. And because I've been working at business and church and trying to build things, and I've had a uh, what's that thing called? A child. Um, <laughs> in the last three years. <laughs> um, I thought that was too much investment. I couldn't spend three hours to go to the gym four times a week. And when I started working out with my friend and my brother, I realized, hey, it's only a 45-minute minute, minute thing. It's not as intense as I thought. And so the first time I went, I was like, oh, this is not so bad. This is actually quite easy. And so mentally, I had built up conditioning in my own mind that limited me. Not the room, not the lack of an opportunity. It was a mindset that limited the outworking. And as that shifted, I've been consistent and disciplined, and it's been easy, and I've been getting results on the inside. Later, you'll see results on the outside. <laughs> it's not a New Year's thing. It was just something that, as the mindset broke, the first time I worked out with my brother and my friend, it's like... Oh, I can, I can do this. Oh, this isn't impossible. Mindset was broken. I didn't need New Year's. I didn't need all the books and the training and all the YouTube motivation that I've done all of those things. I just needed a, mind shift, shift, a mindset shift. As it shifted, I was there. That's the thing about what seems impossible, is that you're only one little mind, mindset shift away from it being possible. Doesn't mean it doesn't take time and a process and discipline. It just means that limitation is no longer there. That's what God's bringing us into. Mindset shifts. And it's going to happen, yes, because of COVID finishing or the applications of COVID finishing in our city. And it's, and, and that's important. And there's calendars and the sun and moon that align and change things for our calendar and our clock. Sure. That's all, that's all end of sentences and chapters. But the fundamental shift is the shift from an old covenant to a new covenant which has already happened, but as we see that shift in our own lives, that'll be the overarching theme that enters into greater and greater freedom. Amen. Is that good? Does that help you? Take some pressure off you? When you get too descriptive on how God needs to work with you and what He needs to do, you can miss out on His blessing. Yesterday, I wanna, um, I'm spending some time with Sammy, and we go to the fridge and we get out an orange. And this beautiful, big, plump orange, I can feel it's ripe and ready. And he wants to cut, so I get a knife out, and we're cutting the orange so we can make orange juice. And so he, he loves this whole thing. For him, it's cooking. I'm cooking. And so we'll cut the thing up, and we get the glass out, and we do it outside because it's a mess. And it's a half an hour process just to cut up an orange. 
And we get outside, we squeeze the orange, and it's just ripe and it's ready. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so wonderful. He tastes it, and he goes, mm, nummy, nummy. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to taste some orange juice. I get it, and I taste it, and it was disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And the reason why is because I thought it was an orange. And it's not an orange. It was a grapefruit. <laughs> so this whole time, I had imagined tasting a sweet orange, and it wasn't. It was this sour grapefruit. And you know what? I like grapefruit. I don't have a problem with grapefruit. But my expectation took me out of what should have been a blessing, and it felt like a curse. So when you're over-prescriptive or descriptive on what God needs to do in your life, you can miss what He is blessing you with. Because you think it, you, oh God, I want an orange, I want an orange, I want an orange. But he's giving you a grapefruit, which is better for you. Yeah. And so that's why it's very dangerous in the new year to go, God, you need to do this. This is how you're going to bless me. Because he's going to bless you regardless. Just don't dictate to him how he's going to bless you. You be open to following how he's going to bless you. Because it may look very different from your limited mindset now, your perspective may shift so much that you don't have a comprehension of how he's going to bless you. So just go, Father, bless me. I think this is what you should do, God. But, but I'm open to whatever you want to do. And have a relationship with him and walk with him. Sometimes Bonnie dictates to me how things should be. I'm the authority in the house. But no, sometimes she knows better than me. And I go, okay, let's do it the way you want to do it. And vice versa. It's a relationship. It's not you dictating to God how it should be. And this is what happens with religious Christians. They look at the Ten Commandments. They look at all the things. They look at the story and they go, this is how you, okay, I've got to an impossible barrier. Now you need to split the Red Sea, God. He doesn't have to split. Maybe you'll walk over it. Like Jesus just walks over the water. And now you read, okay, Jesus walked on the water. I need to walk on the water. Well, maybe God's just going to stop the water flowing. Maybe he'll take you around. Maybe you didn't need to cross that barrier anyway, and he's going to take you back the other direction. Don't dictate to God how he needs to bless you. You just say, Father, you bless me how you want to bless me. Just show me in the process. Amen? Okay. I'm, I'm really trying not to preach long today. I preached so long last week. You guys were so gracious. And then I rushed it. Okay. We're talking about the new. We're talking about the new. In Acts 9, Peter has been culturally and religiously conditioned by something that was right. It was, this was not a wrong conditioning. This was a right conditioning. He was conditioned. You don't eat certain foods. You don't eat bacon. You don't eat shrimp. There are only animals that God said were clean. You could eat those. You couldn't eat others. If you ate those other animals, you were considered dirty. You were breaking the rules. And so... This is Acts 9. We all know that, that in Acts 2, the new covenant began. It's when the Holy Spirit descended. And so this is already seven chapters deep into the new covenant. And Peter's conditioning was still at play over all of these new converts who were living in the new covenant. The, the, the lid on the glass jar was still on. And so God actually has a plan for Peter to go and preach to the Gentiles. And in the meantime, before Peter even knows this, there's a man called Cornelius who's a Gentile. He's not a Jew, and he's God. he loves God. He fears God. His whole house is worshiping God. But they had no access. He was just a good man. 
And he has an angel come to him and say, go to so-and-so house. There's going to be a man there by the name of Peter. And when you speak to him, tell him to come to your house because I want him to bless you. So Cornelius is obedient. He fears God. So he does that. In the meantime, Peter's on his roof and Peter falls into a trance. And in the trance, a sheet comes from heaven. The four corners are let go and all the animals are let out of this, this, this uh, sheet. And God says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I'm a good boy. I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't eat unclean meat. And Peter dictates to God what, God, what he should do. And he tells God off. And three times God had to say to Peter, kill and eat. Because Peter was so conditioned by the old, he was missing out on the new. So God had to bring him through a process that counted his own cultural conditioning to bring him into a spacious place where there were low, no limitations, not so much so that he could be, bless Peter, so that he could bless the Gentiles, which is the very thing that Jesus commanded his disciples to do, go into all the world. They weren't going into the world. So God had to come down and say, hey, your cultural conditioning is stopping the blessing flowing. And so three times Peter corrects God. Doesn't sound very different from what Peter was doing to Jesus about the cross. Uh, <laughs> Peter was very passionate. He knew what he was doing and he knew he was right. And uh, he wasn't right on a lot of occasions. Sounds very much like your modern day Christian. And telling God what to do and God says three times, no, I want you to kill and eat. So Peter does that. As soon as he comes out of the trance, he comes out of the trance because people are knocking on his door from Cornelius' house. They take him to Cornelius' house. And as Peter starts to preach, now he wouldn't go in normally because those are Gentiles, dirty, unclean. But God has just broken him out of that cultural conditioning. So he steps into the dirty Gentile's house. Thank God for Cornelius. We those dirty Gentiles. Peter wouldn't walk into your house unless he had that trance-like vision. He wouldn't come to your house. He wouldn't be allowed in. You think you can eat your chow bao in front of Peter? No. <laughs> dirty so God breaks him out of cultural conditioning and as he walks in and starts preaching the gospel guess who shows up but the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit descends we know that the Holy Spirit is a sign a seal and the purpose of the new covenant Peter couldn't see the access point of the new covenant whilst he was still living under an old covenant mindset and so God had to break him out so the spirit, the spirit doesn't need to be released, but so that the spirit could be released into that household. Can you see that? And if you're still living by old mindsets, they're going to limit you to where what God is able to do, you're going you're to say, okay, God, no, I've got this. If you still live by old mindsets, you're going to say, I've got this. I don't need your release of power. I don't need your release of life. I'm going to do it myself. And that comes because of social and religious conditioning. So as we come into 2023, just say, Father, release, from me, release me from that conditioning. God wants to bring us into the new. He wants to bring us into the new. When Noah comes off the boat... Remember, he had the great flood. No one was righteous. 
Everyone was evil. Everyone was doing bad stuff. And God, it's, it's actually very sad when you read this portion of Genesis 6. Very sad because it says God grieved that he made man. God was sorry that he made mankind. I mean, that's I mean, God's greatest project. His crown jewel was a failure. By biblical accounts, that's not my opinion. That's just what it says in the text. And he's going, I'm so sorry. So he decides he's going to wipe it all out. And he sees one righteous man. Not righteous by the world's accounts, but righteous by God's sight. And Noah was found to be righteous. Noah found grace in God's eyes. Now, if God can do that for Noah, I wonder what he can do for me if I learn to live in the righteousness that I've already received. And so he saves Noah from the great flood that comes. He warns him in reverent fear. Noah worked. And he comes off the boat, and some people try to insist that Noah was depressed and sad because all these bad people had died. I don't know. I think Noah was probably happy because all those people were doing evil, evil, evil things. And God was sorry that he made them. He wanted to get rid of them. So I don't know. it. Noah walked with God. I don't know if Noah was upset or not. That's not in the text whether he was happy or sad. What I do know is that Noah planted a vineyard. And that sounds like a celebration to me. That sounds like, hey, we're going to party. And so whether Noah was the first one to, to uh, drink wine or not, I don't know. It seems to suggest that in the text. It's interesting that all the debauchery and all the evilness that went on before the flood happened not under the influence of alcohol. Um, <laughs> they just, just under the influence of the nature of man. Alcohol does not make you do bad things. Alcohol releases whatever's in you to come out of you. Alcohol is not evil. <laughs> You're in though. No. <laughs> Alcohol just loosens the tap for it just so happy people become more happy and angry people become more angry. <laughs> That's why religious people don't like drinking. Okay, so um, so Noah plants a vineyard. Whenever you see a new covenant or you see the new chapter in the Bible, you will always see wine. Because wine is a commemoration and a celebration of the new. Why is it you drink champagne or wine at New Year's? Because it's a new day. We're going to celebrate the new day. Why is it at a wedding you have wine? Because it's new. And we all know what Jesus' first miracle was. Jesus' first miracle was the miracle of turning water into wine. Much like Noah turned from water to wine. It was something new, something of the new covenant. When Jesus is about to die, he says, this is my flesh and this is my blood. The new wine, whenever you drink wine, do this in remembrance of me. It was something new that was being announced in the wine. And so that's why God's word to us in 2023 is ha, 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 ha. Because when you get drunk, <laughs> you get happy, hopefully. <laughs> because he wants to help us to experience the new wine. So Jesus takes the 600 liters or so of wine, of water rather. They run out of wine. That The new covenant was running out of anything it had to offer. And as it comes to the end, Mary recognizes what Jesus is able to do. What is Jesus? Jesus, not a, he's a carpenter. He doesn't plant vineyards. A little bit like Noah. He builds boats. He doesn't build, build uh, 
plant vineyards. And she recognizes what he's able to do. So she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So he says, okay, it's not my time, woman. <laughs> she, says, she basically ignores what he says. <laughs> and Jesus starts his ministry. He, it says at the end of John 2 there, that's, that um, run of scripture, I think it's 2.11. He says, it says that he revealed his glory and the disciples put their faith in him. Because now he was starting his ministry. And the ministry was new wine. Whenever you come to a new chapter, a new covenant, you have to have wine. There has to be joy. Otherwise, just stay in the old. Now, I want you to see what the religious... <laughs> Maybe. I want you to see the religious reply to what I've just said. In Luke 5, the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, Hey, why are your disciples having fun? Why are they drinking wine and partying and celebrating? And why are John the Baptist's disciples praying and fasting? There's a big distinction between the old and the new. And why are you guys having too much fun? And Jesus says to them, hey, whilst you guys have got the bridegroom here, he's talking of himself, saying, have a party. You don't, you don't go to a wedding and pray, pray and fast. No, you go to a wedding to get fat. He says, but when you don't have the bridegroom, then go back to prayer and fasting. Because whilst you have me here, enjoy it. And then in verse 36, he said, them, he said to them um, in a parable, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. So think about this. You've got a beautiful, I don't know, fashion, but Amani jacket. Do they do jackets, Amani? Sure. And uh, this beautiful, brand new, never been worn, thousands of dollars, and you go and cut a piece of material out of it. Forget about where that patch is going. Just look at that jacket. It's now ruined. The new thing, the brand new thing that is incredibly valuable has been ruined. Why? Because you're trying to take something out of it. Whenever you try and temper and manicure and control the new covenant, you ruin its purpose. Whenever you try and dilute what Jesus did on the cross for you, you make the cross of no effect. You empty the cross of its power. When you try and say, okay, well, we love Jesus, but we still got to live in a little bit of Moses. You ruin the new garment. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and patch from the new one Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. Not only do you ruin the new garment, but now the old garment looks out of place, and that looks tatty and difficult. And why is there a beautiful Amani logo on something that's weathered and worn? And so now the old one doesn't work either. And so not only do you dilute the new, but you also dilute the old. Moses and Jesus do not mix. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, don't be cutting patches out of the new and sticking it onto the old and calling it Jesus. Just live like Jesus does, like he says to live. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Do you know the context that Jesus is saying that in? 
He's saying that in the context of 600 or so commands that the Jews were living under. And then he says to those people who are trying so hard to live under 600 commands, he's saying, if you love me, you'll follow what I say. And Christians read that, go, well, if you follow Jesus, you must follow the 600. No, he's saying that in contrast to the 600. Let me say that again. If you love Jesus, follow what he says, not what others have said. Oh, but Moses says, but Elijah says. Okay, fair enough. Go and follow Moses and go and follow Elijah then. Follow them fully. Follow the old garment. Don't ruin the old garment by putting a little bit of Jesus, a little sprinkle of Jesus on the old. Because not only are you going to ruin Jesus, the picture, your image, you can't ruin Jesus. But your image of who Jesus is, you're not going to ruin Moses and Elijah too. Because Moses and Elijah both agree about Jesus. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the old will not... Uh, from the new will not match the old. You're going to ruin the picture. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. People are so, trying so hard to protect Moses and the law and old covenant conditioning. So hard to protect it. You know how you protect that? Keep Jesus out of the picture. Because the second you pour the new wine into the old wineskin, it's going to burst. The way that you keep Moses intact, don't turn to Jesus. Please don't turn to Jesus. Don't bring in a little bit of new. Just keep the old. You can't mix them. Don't mix your drinks. <laughs> no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit and we talk about the new wine, He will only come and be poured into your life and through your life to the degree by which you have a new covenant mindset. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit operations can only function to the degree by which you have a new covenant mindset. If you have old covenant thinking, your results will line up to the old covenant, which is emptied. It's dissipating, and it will soon disappear. There is a fading glory with the Old Covenant. So when you think religiously, and you've been conditioned to think religiously by culture and by religion, you will get results that go less and less and less and less. And you've got to work harder and try harder, and you've got to find more targets and play chess better to try and get a result. But if you want a supernatural result, you've got to leave the old, and you've got to come into the new. Get a new wineskin. Get a new theology. Don't try and... Upgrade old theology to match it up to some of the things that Jesus says and then be confused on theology. No, just leave that old theology behind and say, God, I'm going to believe what Jesus said. I'm going to believe what your son has said. And when I believe what he said, then I'm going to have the new wine poured out of my life because I can capacitate it. Does that make sense? Let's bring up verse 39. This Account is in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke is the only version that has this little tagline at the end, which is indicative of the nature of man without God. It says, And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better, more mature. Yeah, we've heard that new stuff before. We don't like that new stuff. We want the old. 
And so they become religious and they become dogmatic about their religion. And when the new revelation comes along, like the righteous will live by faith. Oh, no, no, no. We don't believe that. We don't like, we're going to stick with the old. I'm going to stick with the church fathers. Well, the church fathers were coming into grace. They were saying, hey, let's release the Gentiles from the shackles of the law. We couldn't live up to it. Neither could our forefathers. Let's just come into Jesus. No, no, we're going to stick with the law. We're going to go back. You know, okay, well, Moses said that no one, he was already getting certificates of divorce. And he said you couldn't live up to it. Oh, no, 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 not Moses, Abraham. And they keep on going back to whatever's older, older, older. And at every point in history, there were always choices between living by faith or living by works. There was no law and, and nobody was living by faith except Abraham came along and said, okay, I believe you, God. <laughs> For they say the old is better. Been there, done that. I'm not going to try this. No, no, this is just new fandangled stuff. I don't like this. They said to Jesus, I was, I was saying to some people this morning, isn't it funny that Jesus is standing right in front of the religious, the people who should have known this stuff. They know about wine, religiously speaking. And Jesus stands in front of them and says, you search the scriptures for me. I'm standing right in front of you. And they were dictating to Jesus and telling him and correcting him and eventually crucifying him. And yet he was the very bread of life. And they would not taste the new because they said the old is better. We can take that down, John. In John 6, this is amazing, absolutely amazing. I encourage you to go and read John 6. Jesus is talking about the bread of heaven. And he's, and he's saying, I am the bread that has come down. You thought Moses was the one who fed you in the desert. It wasn't Moses. It was my Father in heaven who fed you in the desert. We're the Jews. We were fed for 40 years by manna. And Jesus is saying, I'm the manna that's come down. Oh, no, 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 we don't like this, we don't like this. So Jesus says, now if you think this is accidental, that Jesus was speaking his truth, whatever the local kids say, speaking my truth. Uh, if Jesus was speaking his truth and accidentally people got offended, then you need to read the chapter again. Because Jesus wasn't accidentally offending people. He was purposefully offending people. So he says, I'm the bread that came down. I'm the one who fed you in the desert. And then he says, unless, if, unless you eat of my flesh, you have no access to the Father. And they go, now listen to this. How many of us know that you can't eat human flesh? That's against the law. And now Jesus is breaking old wineskins by saying you need to eat of my flesh. And unless you eat my flesh, you have no access. Because my Father sent me. Does that make sense to you? He's breaking their law. He's breaking their limitations, their cultural and religious conditionings. And they got offended. And rather than Jesus going, you know what? I'm sorry, I should have worded that slightly differently. You don't actually have to physically eat my flesh. Let me just explain the nuance and the color and context of this to get you through this offense. He says, oh, you think that's bad? You need to drink my blood. <laughs> and he ratchets up the offense. He says, your old wineskin cannot capacitate what I want to give you. And so thousands of people got so offended because he was taking the lid off the jar and they refused to jump out of it. That all of them left. And he's left with 12 boys. 
And then do you know what Jesus turns around and says, oh, boys, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for staying. I thought everyone would abandon me. I'm so glad. Now, let me walk you through this difficult understanding. No. Do you know what he says? He says, aren't you guys going to? Because Jesus' mission wasn't to make people feel comfortable. Jesus' mission was to bring the Holy Spirit so he could institute a new covenant. And he knew if he bought the new covenant wine, if he bought the Holy Spirit, it didn't make a difference if people were comfortable or not. What made a difference is if they had a new wineskin to capacitate what he wanted to pour out. And so he wasn't willing to make the crowd comfortable because he knew that would be no effect. Not because he didn't love those people. He just knew it would be no difference because no matter how many lids you take off the jar, they would never jump out. So he says to the boys, aren't you going to go too? And they go, where else are we going to go? You're the one who has the words of life. That doesn't mean they weren't offended. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they understood what he was talking about. They just knew that he had something that was life. That's one of the most difficult things you can do as a Christian, is still honor God despite your offense. And a lot of the church teaches, don't be offended, don't be offended. But yeah, that's right to not be offended. But you know what? God will offend you sometimes. And you mustn't manage your offense. And it's not about learning how to say sorry to someone who's offended you if you're offended. That, there's an outworking. The main thing is, am I, am I going to honor God even when I'm offended and don't understand? Because that'll take Christians out of churches. It'll take Christians out of a loving relationship. And then the fruit of that will be horizontally. Your life will just be a mess and you'll mess other people's life up. So we try and manage, hey, live a good life. Live a good. No, no. Learn how to be offended by God and stick with the words of life through your offense. Allow him to take the lid off your jar and go, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to walk with truth regardless. You have the words of eternal life. Some of the most powerful events in my personal life have been God speaking to me about something I was the expert on and telling me I was wrong. And I foundationed my whole life or certain sections of my life on certain ideas that I was skilled and talented and well-read. And God says, oh, you think it's like this, do you? Really? I, one, I, I love Jeremiah 12, verse 5. Anyone know that scripture? If you think you can run with the horses... What is it? Uh, if, you can th if you think you can run with men, how are you going to run with horses? If you can't run in the safe country, how are you going to run in the difficult country? My whole life I've been taught and heard, and I have read books on the Navy SEALs and the 40% rule. When you're at the end of your, your tether and you think you've got no more energy, you're only at 40%. You can do one more. All of that stuff. And all the Christians saying, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with this, you've got to get through this because you've got to get to the more uh, uh, difficult stuff. And you've got to run with the horses. I get tired and I get worn out. And I'm so tired. And then I read Jeremiah 12, verse 5, my, one of my core strength scriptures. And I go to say, God, I'm so tired, but I want to run with the horses. If I can't run with this, how am I going to run with the horses? And I, I read that scripture that night. I go to bed and I wake up at 2 or 3. And it was like fear came on me. It was like, it wasn't evil and it wasn't dark, but it was weighty. It was heavy. It was so, God was so present in the room, I thought someone was outside the house because I was so aware of a presence. And so I physically got out of bed and walked around the house with a torch thinking, is someone here? Because I felt such a presence. Not evil, not nasty, 
but weighty. And then I said, God, what is this? He said, Sean, I want you to go and read Jeremiah 12, verse 5. I said, Father, I've just read that this evening. I know what that is. Let me tell you about Jeremiah 12, verse 5. Lord, I'm going to be strengthened. Do you feel strengthened, Sean? No, I don't. But I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to run with the horse. You've got to read it again. So I'm going to read it again, and then I tell God the same thing. He says, Sean, read the whole chapter. See, I've been conditioned, religiously conditioned. And it's so been reinforced in my life. I'm now telling God what his scripture is. Do you know how arrogant that is? We do it all the time. Truth can come out of the mouth of babes. No experience. No shirt. No battle wounds. Truth is truth. Independent of what you know or not know. That's the position to adopt. So I say, okay, God, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I know the scripture. I'm going to read Jeremiah 12. The whole of Jeremiah 12 is an insult and an accusation at Israel from God, saying, you think you can run so hard? You, you think you can do it? And you're struggling with the easy things. You're struggling running with men and running in the safe country. And now you think you can run with horses? You guys are stupid. Stop trying to run this race. I've got a better race for you. The whole context of, of Jeremiah 12. And I shook in fear. Not because God was so horrible, but because my mindset was so restricted, thinking I had to double down on my effort to get where God was calling me to do. And he was saying, I want you to stop that effort. And so I got more exhausted over months, going, I'm going to run with the horses, I'm going to run with the horses. And God's saying, you're an idiot. I'm not calling you to run with the horses. I'm calling you not even run with the men. You need to give up and stop relying on yourself and start relying on me. And as you rely on me... I will show you where to put your, your feet. I will guide your steps. And you will not do it from your strength. You will do it from my strength. And I felt a release and I felt a peace. And within days, in those areas I was doubling down in, I felt a turnaround. I just felt a release. Peace. Because I, no, I no longer thought I was holding up the weight of the world. And that God was relying on me. I reversed it, or he reversed it, and I started to rely on him. That's the new covenant. Not relying on the works of the law, your works of the law, but relying on what he's able to do. By faith, receiving the free gift. Does that make sense? So Jesus offends his disciples. He tells the, he tells the crowd... Eat my flesh, drink my blood, all get offended. He offends his disciples and they say, you have the words of life. Everything up until John the Baptist's time was looking for a Messiah. Every Jew knew. And to this day, people who don't believe in Jesus are still looking for a Messiah. In fact, some of them have found a Messiah right now. And they think the red heifers and the temple system that they're building and all of the stuff, that's going to be the Messiah. Insult to Jesus. Insult to Jesus. And so John the Baptist comes along. And John the Baptist has got such gravity. He didn't perform one miracle. And yet there was such a power in what he was saying. That even the Pharisees came down for Jerusalem to see what he was about. And crowds would come and gather. And do you know what John the Baptist would do? He'd dunk people in water. This was a Jewish ceremonial washing. It was a preparation for the Messiah. And so they were dunking Jews to say, hey, get ready for something new that's coming. 
It was death to new life. They were getting ready. Now, the Messiah hadn't arrived yet, but they were preparing. And so John the Baptist was the one in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah. So when they come to him and they say, hey, are you Elijah? Or are you, who are you? Are you the prophet? And he goes, no, I'm the one who's going to, I'm going to recognize the Messiah. That's what my ministry is. It's amazing that the Pharisees didn't get dunked. They didn't get baptized. They wouldn't. John the Baptist sees them coming. He says, you brood of vipers, you cursed generation. <laughs> anyway, that's a side thing. So Jesus comes along, uh, John the Baptist's cousin. So he knew him. But because John the Baptist wasn't operating in his ministry, he didn't recognize him as the Messiah. He was just cousin Jesus, who liked building boats and roofs. And uh, so Jesus comes walking along and he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he comes and, and Jesus says, Baptize me. And John the Baptist says, No, 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 you should baptize me. I'm not worthy. I have to decrease so that you may increase. I'm the old covenant that has dissipated and emptied itself of all its power so that the new covenant, the new wineskin, can operate. And Jesus says, for, other, for reasons about fulfilling the law, he says, no, let me be baptized. Jesus didn't have to prepare himself for him being the Savior. <laughs> he got baptized on our behalf so we could be prepared in Christ for the coming of Christ. And so he gets baptized. And you know what happens when he comes out of that water? When he goes from water, out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends, the new wine descends. He's already turning water into wine when he comes out of the water. And then the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. Jesus was just doing what he was. He was just a water to wine turner. That's all he did. <laughs> Everywhere he went, it was water to wine. Sickness into life. Death into life. This is what he did. And so Jesus, in John 16, 17 talks about when I go, I'm going to send someone else. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the new wine. Acts 2 starts. And Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem, wait till the power comes from on high. And the power comes in Acts 2, tongues of fire separate. See, the Holy Spirit is fire. Tongues of fire separate, they start speaking tongues. All the nations, I think there's 15 or 16 different nations, are there watching what's happening. And you know what the accusation is on those guys? Who are talking in tongues they say they are drunk do you know why they look drunk because there's new wine because jesus turned what was an external ceremonial washing of judaic religious cultural thinking of we just go and wash and if we wash on the outside we're all clean and he took that death which just recognized death and cleaned it from the outside did nothing for your internals just external washing supplied he took that and he turned it into spirit life he turned it into new wine and so now for the first time in history we have a new covenant people filled with new covenant wine in the old covenant the holy spirit could come on people temporarily in the new covenant the holy spirit comes to indwell you he lives on the you now become the temple of the holy spirit you become the wineskin the new wineskin and so now our souls need to catch up to the spiritual realities of what God has already done on our behalf. Our souls need to aliven and take the lids off to what He's able to do in that new wine. When you come under the intoxication or the influence of wine, you do things differently. You may look clumsy. 
You may look awkward. You may look like you're walking around in circles, like the Israelites coming out of bondage. But when you come under that influence, God will perform miracles on your behalf. The miracle of new life is the first miracle. Then he'll perform miracles through your family. Abundance of wealth and health. And then in your communities and in your church. Please, Jesus. No. <laughs> Where that new life will prolifer proliferate and give him glory.